I asked Anastasia to speak this morning. And she said, I can do it. I said, okay. And she said, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. That's it. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Good job, Anastasia. <laughs> <laughs> the rest of the service is free for you. Yeah. <laughs> Amen. After that, she started dancing, so I'm not sure what was gonna. That was all about. So, it was a song to follow. <laughs> How's a person going to navigate his way in the minefield of insanity that we find ourselves surrounded by today? Truth's been turned upside down, or at least what so many people call truth. It seems like uh, for them it's subjective and changeable at a moment's notice. Almost anyone that examines their past will quickly uncover a list of um, comments and a string of behavior that they are ashamed of and they regret and wish would disappear. Yet yeah, we're told that these thoughts and these behavioral things of our past characterize us forever and that um, they define us today. So what's the answer? What's true and what isn't? And who defines, who defines truth anyway? For those of us that are, that are Christians, the answer is easy. And yet even though we know the answer... It's not always easy to walk it out on a daily basis. So what's the answer to the confusion of the day? What's the standard by which all truth has to be measured? If there was just some all-powerful being that had made everything, and us included, and left us a guidebook, things would be a lot easier, wouldn't they? Somebody that could settle all things and wonder of wonders. There is such a being, and we do have a guide for truth and living. And this guide for truth and living, it's called the Scriptures. And here's some of the things that this God tells us. In Proverbs, it tells us that every word of God is tested. He's a shield to those who take refuge in him. Do not add to his words, or he will reprove you, and you will be proved a liar. In 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, this being says, All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God might be adequate, equipped for every good work. Inspired means God-breathed. It means by God's Spirit. Now look at the context 
of that chapter that those verses came out of in 2 Timothy. I want to read the whole chapter. It's not that long. Because it's just um, so insightful to the things we need to know. It says, 2 Timothy 3, But realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brooders, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. Avoid such men as these. Well, it tells us who to avoid, doesn't it? For among them are those who enter into households and captivate weak women, weighed down with sins, led on by various impulses, always learning and never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janies and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also oppose the truth. Men of depraved mind, rejected in regard to the faith, but they will not make further progress, for their folly will be obvious to all, just as Janies and Jambres' folly was also. These are the two magicians that also turned their rods into serpents when they were contesting Moses. Now you followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, perseverance. Persecutions and suffering such as happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and at Lystra. That what, what persecutions I endured, and out of them all, the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. But evil men and impostors will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. You, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from a childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, in training, for training in righteousness that the man of God might be thoroughly, might be adequate, thoroughly, uh, excuse me, adequate, equipped for every good work. Some versions say thoroughly furnished unto every good work. In difficult times, in perilous times, times like today, this is what so many are going to be like. 
unholy, unloving, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And in verse 5 again it says, avoid such men as these. And verse 13, but evil men and imposters will proceed from God, from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. When the Old Testament is quoted in the New Testament, statements like God says and the Holy Spirit says occur frequently. What the Scripture says and what God says are interchangeable terms. They're the same thing. So what God says is what the Scripture says, and what the Scripture says or what God says. God speaks through his chosen prophets and apostles. Look at what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14.37. If anyone thinks he is a prophet or spiritual, let him recognize that the things which I write to you are the Lord's commandments. They're not Paul's words, they're God's words. Paul has authority because he's been specially commissioned by the Lord to lay the foundation for the Christian church. Ephesians 2, 19 and 20 say, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. The foundation of the church, Jesus being the chief cornerstone, but the foundation on that cornerstone are the prophets and the apostles who speak the word of God. Christ Jesus himself being the chief cornerstone. And in Revelation 2, excuse me, 21.4 In describing the new Jerusalem that's coming down from heaven, it says, And the wall of the city had twelve foundation stones, and on them were the twelve names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. Foundation stones for the new Jerusalem. We're called to submit to the authority of the word without any rebellion and without reservation. Why? Because it's seen, because it begins, excuse me, because it's the origin is God's will, not man's will. And it's both complete and it's final. Hebrews 1.12 says, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways in these last days has spoken to us in his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. These last days he spoke to us through his son. Jesus, during his earthly ministry, said his his spoken word would judge men for the final day. And that's true because his word is the very word of God himself. In John 12, 47 through 50, it says, If anyone hears my saying and does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. 
He who rejects me and does not receive my sayings has one who judges him. The word I spoke is what will judge him the last day. For I do not speak on my own initiative, but the Father himself who sent me has given me a commandment as to what to say and what to speak. I know that his commandment is eternal life. Therefore, the things I speak, I speak just as the Father has told me. Lutheran theologian Edward Kohler said, This authority which comes to us from the Bible itself calls for an instant and unqualified acceptance of every statement of the Bible on the part of man. We don't choose what's true and what's not. We don't gloss over the difficult things and read only those things that are easier. Exodus 32, 15, and 16. Moses gets the Ten Commandments, and it says, Then Moses turned and went down from the mountain with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, tablets which were written on both sides. They were written on one side and the other. The tablets were God's work, and the writing was God's writing engraved on the tablets. God's word, God's writing. Here's an illustration of why it's such a, there's such a difference in those that rejoice in Scripture and those that find it dull, boring, and to be avoided. It says, a woman read a book and stated, was, stated it was the dullest book she'd ever read. Then she fell in love with its author. From then on, she found the book fascinating. For the unsaved, the Bible can be dull reading. But when you fall in love with the one that wrote it, with the author of the Bible, it's inspiring, it's interesting, it's rewarding. Second Peter one twenty one says, For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. And in Psalm 119, 34, it says, Give me understanding that I may observe your law and keep it with all my heart. And in Psalm 12, the words of the Lord are pure words. Like silver refined in a furnace of the earth, the words of the Lord are pure And then it says, refined seven times. One important fact about divine revelation is its truth and all that it proclaims, all that it affirms. God's disclosure about himself and the nature of reality are always inerrant, without error. His words are always pure, just like the silver that's been refined in a furnace of the earth. No impurities remain. Unlike the speech of human beings, which are filled with lies, 
the word of God contains no dross. There's no mixture of lies and truth. We have to understand biblical inerrancy in the right way and know or we'll run into difficulties. Inerrancy applies only to what the scripture affirm. It doesn't mean that what somebody says that's out of the will of God is, is without error. An example would be Joseph and Potiphar's wife. What the Bible says that Joseph said and what Potiphar's wife said is inerrant. But the lies that Potiphar's wife told the servants of the house are not inerrant. They're just what she said. You have to read scripture the way it's supposed to be read. And there's poetic imagery in scripture. Isaiah 55, 12 says, All the trees of the field will clap their hands. They're talking about when God redeems his people that are in exile and restores them to the land. Now God knows and we know that trees don't have hands and they don't clap. And scripture's not saying that. What it's saying is that creation itself will rejoice at the salvation of God's people. We have to read scripture the way it's intended to be read. The health of the church depends on a firm commitment to the inerrancy of scripture. If you think some of it's okay and some of it's maybe it's true and maybe it's not, you will never get to the point that you trust God, that you believe him. You will never get to the point that the Bible is a foundation for you. Once you accept the idea that scripture is fallible, that it's not inerrant, that there are errors in it, then it's not long before the foundations of the Christian faith get pulled out from under you and nothing's true. It's happened to many, many churches over the centuries where they decided this particular doctrine, we don't believe that. We don't believe in the virgin birth. A hundred years later, you look at it and where they were here, now they're here because it's a slide. It's always been that way. We have to take care that interpreting the Bible, while the text is inerrant, our interpretation is not always inerrant. And there's a difference. Romans 12.2 reads, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. God sends the Spirit to dwell within Christians and to change us from the inside out. The Spirit changes us by altering our consciousness. He takes our conscience and he turns it and changes it so that we are aware of God and the things of God in ways we never were before. The Spirit convicts us inwardly that some acts are sin and other acts are righteous. The Spirit works on our consciences so that we approve and affirm the things that are just and pure. 
The Spirit ad addresses our hearts, excuse me, our minds in order to get to our hearts. And he works with a book, the Bible. And the Bible's not a magic wand to, rave, to, to wave over your head to dispel evil spirits. You have to read it and study it, and its truths have to be accepted and understood and believed. If we don't understand the truth of the Bible, we cannot grow in sanctification. We cannot grow in holiness. That's why it's sad and heartbreaking that we live in an age that's increasingly hostile to doctrine and teaching. It seems that in so many churches, doctrine is avoided because it's seen as divisive. Well, it is. Scripture says doctrine is going to divide because truth always divides from lies. The most important thing, it seems like, in so many churches day, today are warm feelings and happy experiences. And the assumption is that holy living is going to happen spontaneously. It won't. Errors in doctrine arrive from sin. It's sinful to neglect the Bible and its teaching. To be ignorant about the content of Scripture is not acceptable. It's not righteous. It's a lie and will lead you into more lies. It's sinful to know all about what's going on in Washington, D.C., yet ignorant about what's going on in Leviticus and, and Nahum and Zephaniah. But that's where so many of us are. The Holy Spirit cannot and will not sanctify our lives if we despise the Bible even through neglect. The scriptures cited in Romans 12, 2 that I read said we are transformed by the renewing of our minds. True living flows from true understanding. We're not to be satisfied with being spiritual babies. Hebrews 5 says, Even though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the words of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of, of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. There's one scripture that's represented three times in scripture. The phrase is, the just shall live by faith. It's found in Habakkuk, it's found in Galatians, and it's found in Romans. That's the King James reading. A lot of versions say, the righteous shall live by faith. King James says the just. Equivalent terms. The first time we find it is in Habakkuk 2.4. And Habakkuk 2.4 reads, Behold the proud. 
his soul is not upright in him. But the just, or the righteous, shall live by his faith. In Habakkuk's day, many people thought God had abandoned Israel because Babylon was conquering the people. And Habakkuk's cry is, Lord, why would you take an evil people that are more evil than we are and let them conquer us? That was his cry and that was his question. And God says, the righteous, the just shall live by faith. The Lord is making known the essential distinction between Babylon, wicked Babylon, and the righteous remnant of Judah. The wicked take paths that lead them to death and defeat. The righteous by faith take a path that leads to life and victory. Believing God would save Israel and vindicate his people, but it required absolute reliance on God and his word alone, not anything that man could do or see. That's saving faith. That's the only thing that can save any of us. Not relying on what man can do, but on what God does. Galatians 3.11, along the same line, reads, But that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident, for the just, the righteous, shall live by faith. And Romans 1.16 and 17 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, was the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. Just, righteous, justify, justification. So what exactly is justification? Justification is God's act of pardoning sinners and accounting them righteous for God's sake. That's what justification is. Accounting you righteous for Christ's sake. We must be righteous just to be in God's presence. But we're not. We're sinners. Psalm 711 says that God is angry with the wicked every day. That's hard. But he is. It says so in his word that we establish is infallible, it's inerrant. And that's why Jesus had to die. Because God is angry with the wicked every day. He had to die because he had no sin And he chose to take the place, our place, to satisfy the wrath of God against sin. Against the ungodly. Believers are counted righteous because of Christ's righteousness. Faith is vital because because, because our because of our justification, our our being Declared not guilty rests entirely 
in Christ. So how are we going to know these things and store them in my heart in our hearts unless we read and study scripture? And why would we study scripture unless we love the one that wrote it? Finally, Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is a living and powerful, is living and powerful, and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So the question is, do you love the Lord? If you do, why would you not read what he has to say? Why would we not read his instruction manual? Why would we not read what the creator of time itself has said is going to happen throughout time? Why would we be enamored with news that comes out of D.C. and asleep for the word of God? We need to contemplate it, all of us. God, help me for all the time I waste and forgive me for it and ignite a fire in me that I might change. Let's pray. Lord, that's our prayer. That you would set us on fire, Lord, that our first love would not be a fading thing, but it might be renewed day after day. That your words, Lord, would be words that we love, words that excite us, words that we study, that it becomes a part of us. So help us, Lord, that we might in turn help others. We just thank you for your great blessings, your great peace, and for our Lord Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray these things. Amen. So, ten years from now, when somebody comes up to you and says, you remember June the 6th, 2021, and Greg gave that message? You remember what he, you remember what he said? Ten years from now? You, you, remember, you remember me back? What, what the message Greg gave. Um, so Julie and I, are, we, uh, we went to this website back in December and we printed off a list of how to read the Bible in a year. And uh, we said, well, I wanted to read Old and New Testaments together, but I wanted to read them chronologically 
and I want to take one day off a week. So it, it, it's given me the schedule, six days a week, what to read every day for the whole year. And um, <clears throat> I, did, I didn't realize it was going to be fascinating. But something, something is happening in me. Something is really happening in me. Where now I look forward to reading it. Um, even the genealogies have come on, taken on a whole new meaning of what God, the care and the detail of who God's people are and who their brothers and sisters were and who their children and their ancestors were up and down. And, and then when you read something that says, well, <clears throat> this whole thing about Jesus being a priest, there was no mention of a priest in the line of Judah from Moses. And you read and says, there's nothing about a priest coming out of Judah. But there is this Melchizedek that Abraham was subservient to. And suddenly, you know, it just explains all these things. Um, the way you're going to remember Greg's message 10 years from now is you take it to heart today. Take it to heart today. Start reading your Bible. I know some of you are have made a diligent effort this year to read your Bibles. And uh, it's not too late. It's not even halfway through the year yet. Um, and then this song, you know, I was thinking, well, maybe I should change the song I was going to do. And then I thought, no, this song is about God's goodness. And I was thinking, wouldn't it be great if there was this sovereign Lord who was all-wise and all-knowing, and he was... He was he was caring. He really cared. And he left the book of information that we could live our lives by. And, you know, that's what Greg was saying. But he's, he's done that. And so you think about all the goodness that's found in the scriptures. All the goodness. All the places that you'll find hope in the scriptures. And all the places that you'll find what to avoid in the scriptures. And where you'll find power to live a life that would please God. And where you'll find a, where to put your cares and your concerns and your anxious thoughts. That all comes out of the Scripture. And any place else you'd go for that is going gonna, is gonna to be less, less than the all-powerful Word of God. So I love you, Lord. It's on page 59. For your mercy never fails me. Now, I'm going to think about the mercy of God in giving me His Word. It never fails me. His mercy never fails me. I'm going to hold this up. The goodness of God. This is the goodness of God to you. One way He's shown you His goodness is right here. You've been faithful. Every word is true. He's faithful. I love your voice. Where can you be absolutely 100% sure you're hearing God's voice? It's right here. You've led me through the fire. Right here. In the darkest night, you are close like no other. The Word of God is what's close to you in the dark of night. And where do you go for comfort and strength? You go here. I love you, Lord. Think about the Word of God as we sing this.